Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Welcome back to My Lord and My God, your show on the Eucharist. Thank you for joining us. And one thing that Fred and I have stressed with this show, um, we're now in episode four, so we've stressed it a little bit, but we'll continue to stress it. At least four times. Yeah, at least four times is (laughs) that we want to be able to answer the question, how has your encounter with Christ changed your life? And so before really diving into um, all things Eucharist over the course of this next year, we want to answer that question ourselves. So this episode and next week's episode are actually going to be um, Fred and I sharing our own testimonies about how our encounter with the Eucharist has brought us closer to Christ and it has changed our lives. Yes. And this week, Kara, I think this is a real special treat because I've got I've been blessed to hear a lot of your testimony on how the Eucharist has changed your life. And I get to interview you and ask you questions Mm -hmm. and get to hear you share that story with everyone. So I'm really excited about that. I'm looking forward to to you sharing that with others because there's a lot of things in your testimony on the Eucharist that you don't often share. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not everyone. shy. I'm not shy about it, but like, how often does it come up? You know, right, yeah. right, yeah. And and yet, it should be kind of right there at the beginning. It's not a criticism of you. I think it's yeah. Just, we should we shouldn't every, be afraid to talk about it. Yeah, right. In, in, in everyday Catholicism, it's not for whatever reason. It's not necessarily something we go around talking right. about regularly. I think of a homily uh, once uh, in my first parish here in Iowa. Um, the priest uh, was talking about how he had visited his, his family in Colorado and they had went hunting and they had got themselves a deer that they were excited to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the grownups were just like really excited, some family recipes. And the kids were like bummed. <laughs> the kids wanted McDonald's. Okay. <laughs> so they took the, they took them to kids, the McDonald's to, to get the Happy Meals. And the kids were just so excited. And he couldn't understand that much excitement about a McDonald's hamburger, which I agree with him. But he challenged everybody there. Like, how come little children can be that excited about a McDonald's hamburger? Mm-hmm. And yet we come to mass week after week after week yeah. with no excitement about receiving right. body, blood, soul, and divinity. God himself into our very being like we should come to mass with that much excitement so that's that's the point of the show that's the point of our testimonies right is is answering that question and helping others to encounter Christ in the Eucharist and to have that same kind of joy yeah yeah definitely so Kara (laughs) how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life where do you begin that's such a vague question (laughs) It is. It is. Um, it has changed my life multiple times. <laughs> where Where would you say, like, when was the first time you encountered Christ in the Eucharist? Where, it, it, like, you really realized what was, who was present and what was happening there? And what was that like for you? Um, so I grew up Catholic. I know your testimony is going to be different because you've shared this before that you're a convert. Um, but I think growing up in in the church can have its benefits, but also kind of be very difficult because you grow up taking it for granted. And I definitely grew up taking the church and taking the Eucharist for granted. 
And so my first real encounter with Christ in the Eucharist was when I went on a retreat and I did not want to go on the retreat. My parents basically forced me to go. And before going, I was told like, yeah, we're going to, you know, hear talks. We're going to have mass. And um, then we, then we go to adoration. And I was like, what is adoration? I had never heard that phrase before. (laughs) And I I actually think that's less common now in our parishes. Our parishes do a Mm -hmm. good job of wanting to get people before the blessed sacrament. But um, growing up, like this was very common. I don't think many people had experience with adoration. And so I asked them to explain this to me, people who had already gone on this retreat before. And they're like, yeah, you just kind of sit in silence and sometimes they'll play music and you're just, you know, staring at the host. And And as someone who took the host for granted and could not have Mm. have told you anything about it or I didn't have an experience with it I was like that sounds so boring (laughs) and so I was like how is this people's favorite part of this conference like this sounds Mm -hmm. awful right anyway so we go there and we listen to um, very impactful uh, talks very wonderful speakers but the best part for me was 100% adoration and I didn't know that going in but I can picture it in my head. I remember it. Um, at the time we were in an auditorium. I know they have since moved this to a, like this big arena, but at the time we were in like a theater and I was in the front row of the balcony. So I got to look down and I got to, you know, see him on the altar, on the stage. I got to see, you know, the, the wonderful music. And then they started the Eucharistic procession and they started walking with the monstrance through every aisle. And I remember seeing as the priest was turning one of the corners, I remember seeing like I, I don't I don't even know how to explain it because it's like maybe the spotlight hit it like just perfectly or something. But it's like he turned with the monstrance and I could see Christ's profile like projected onto the wall almost. Mm. And through the Eucharist. Yeah, through, through the Eucharist. Like it's like the spotlight or some kind of light went through the Eucharist, went through the monstrance and his face was on the wall. Wow like 100% undeniable crown of thorns everything and in that moment I just like sat down and started sobbing because it was like realizing oh my goodness I have taken everything that I have ever learned for granted Mm -hmm. every single mass I have gone to I haven't been able to fully enter into it because I didn't know what was happening and it was like this just brief moment I have no idea if anyone else saw it, but it was a grace for sure. This brief moment was like, you know, God saying, I am here. I have been here. And when you come and receive me, like this is who you're receiving. And it was just this transformative encounter. Right. You're literally my Lord and my God moment, right? It was. It was my Lord and my God. And since then, like you and I have developed a strong um, a strong devotion to St. Francis and St. Clair. And as right. I learned more about St. Clair... It's so St. Clair. She's the patron saint of television. (laughs) She's the patron saint of television. And one of the reasons is because um, when she was very sick in her room, she couldn't go to, I think it was Christmas mass or Christmas Eve mass. And Mm. um, she could see mass on her wall. Like for whatever reason, she had this like vision of the mass and it was on her bedroom wall. And it's like, she was there. I'm like, this is very, very St. Clair as I have like gone forward. (laughs) Yeah, very much, very much so. That's why you have a 
Clara and I have a Francis Claire. Yes. Uh, so very much as uh, kids. Those are kids. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think it's important that you start that testimony by pointing to the fact that you took all of that for granted. It yeah. didn't necessarily mean anything to you. Right. Because I think one thing I've noticed a lot, and I understand it to a point, but it, it's also concerning, is that sometimes when, when people have these emotional high type of experiences, people tend to dismiss them mm-hmm. as being just that. But I think your testimony points to the fact that, no, this wasn't just some emotional high. This wasn't just right. some experience that you sort of conjured up, if you will, in the excitement of the moment because you went in yeah, not necessarily disposed to that. Yeah. And yet the Lord showed up. Well, and that's the thing, like it wasn't just an emotional experience, but it definitely right. was an emotional it experience. Was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, he works in those and I, everyone has those moments where your spiritual life is has ups and downs. Like that was when I was 14 years old was when that happened. Mm -hmm. I was not a saint at 14. So I had those spiritual ups and downs still. And I had more spiritual highs and then I still fell. But I think that was really what, um, what made me realize I'm supposed to have a personal relationship with God. And I didn't care before that. So that, that was like the shifting, um, point in my life that really made him, a person to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go from there? Like you mentioned, like you still fell, you still had those moments. And a lot of people associate Steubenville conferences. That's where it was with those good things. But I know, and I don't know if this is true everywhere, but in our part of the country, sometimes people criticize Mm -hmm. Steubenville conferences for the, they go, they have the retreat high, and then they kind of fizzle out when they get back into the parish Mm -hmm. was that was that your experience and if so why do you think that happens so often it was my experience actually um i went to the steubenville conference starting the summer before i went into my freshman year and i have i've gone to that conference like seven or eight times in my life in the first three or four times was very much conference high. This is amazing. Like God is here. I love worshiping with everyone. And then you go home and you get in fights with your siblings and you gossip about your classmates. And it absolutely was, was the highs and the Mm -hmm. lows. And I did, I won't say it fizzled out because I still wanted Mm -hmm. to go on retreats. Um, you know, I still knew I was supposed to have a relationship with the Lord. I still woke up and went to mass, but there wasn't that like vigor that I had mm-hmm. right after coming back from conferences. But I went back and I went back and I went back and every single time he did something more and something deeper mm-hmm. and brought me to a place where the vigor's still there. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect now. I still fall. I don't have as drastic of highs and lows. My high, right. my highs are wonderful. My lows are pretty steady. Um, Mm. because I know he's there and like, you know, it's kind of a very, a very steady, peaceful faith at this point. But Mm. when I was younger, like that's definitely not how I was. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't at that place spiritually. So it was a dramatic high and dramatic lows and tears and whatever. So I don't know, like if people 
critique the conferences for um for bringing about highs I guess I I haven't heard as much of that I know a lot of people do really love them and appreciate them because they including myself yeah yeah, (laughs) Yeah. they and they have their place you know I have always said and this isn't true for every everybody some people come to an encounter with Christ through the intellectual I was not that way. I grew up going to religious education and I can't tell you a single thing that I learned. And that's not to say that the formation wasn't there. It's because I didn't care who I was learning about. And right. and so I think those conferences have a place because they bring you to a point where you see God as a person and a person who is present in your life in the Eucharist and a person who you're supposed to have a relationship with. And how do you have a relationship with someone if you don't know anything about them? So from there, like from this initial Eucharistic encounter, um, it really made me want to know who I was in a relationship with. Like, okay, now I'm, right. I'm interested in hearing about this information. So I, I don't think I really knew much about my faith. Uh, and I will say a pivotal changing point for me was, um, when I was a summer missionary for, yeah, those two months and I went into it completely, um, how do I put this? (laughs) (laughs) Ill-qualified. Like I was underprepared. I did not know what I was teaching. I was the person at training who was like hearing these talks and just scribbling every single thing down, every story, like, cause I was like, I (laughs) don't have anything to give myself cause I don't know any of this, you know? Mm -hmm. So that summer, I got the chance to learn from the people who are on my team, to teach the faith, and I think that was like really this changing moment too. It was taking me from a point of the initial evangelization and like him as a person, we're in relationship to now let's get to know each other, you know? Now let's like right. gr- grow in, in intimacy so I can like stand up for you and Right. And I believe in what you're trying to do in, in my life and in my heart. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely transformative. But I will say there was an article that I stumbled upon by Scott Hahn. I have no idea what it was called. And I have no idea how I found it. And I probably would never be able to find it again. So, you know, it was all all grace. Mm -hmm. I was reading through this article. It was very long. I got like most of the way through it. But after reading some of it, I was like, how long is this? And I started (laughs) I started scrolling. But it was it was very good. And Mm -hmm. um, it was all about his testimony, but also like the old covenant, the new covenant and mm-hmm. how Christ fulfills the the covenants. And like, we, we continue in the Passover through the Eucharist, like all of this intellectual stuff that, that is, is Scott Hahn. So I was reading through that article and like, I couldn't, even though it was crazy long, I couldn't stop reading. And I think at, after I finished it, I, that's when I was like, I want to go learn more. And that was like the deciding factor of going to grad school was after reading that article. Cause I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, I want to know this stuff. Like, this is, it's so real. The faith is true. And just nice. hearing his testimony, like, I'm sure I know you relate to it as well. Cause he's a convert too. Yeah. But he, yeah. yeah. But hearing that, it was just like, oh my goodness, like the truth is what brings people into this. And it's what brought me deeper into it and made me stay because I think there, there were multiple points in my life where I could have been like, no, I'm not buying into all of this. And I could have left. Um, but 
that's not what God wanted. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's not what he wants for any of us. And he made yeah. that, he made that perfectly clear in the opportunities in my life. So that was really, um, that was really one of it. But I will say, I know I've been talking a lot. Um, oh no, you're, it's all good. <laughs> it's funny Kara, Cause again, uh, you've been my best friend for all these years. We've worked together for, uh, a long time now. Yeah. And that's the first time I've heard that story. Yeah. I know. Like a Scott Hahn. Yeah. It was kind of the same thing for me. I stumbled yeah. on something Scott Hahn wrote, which led to me reading this, which led to me reading that. All right. And here I am. He will have know? a wealth so, of people there welcoming welcoming him yeah. in <laughs> yeah. heaven because yeah. we're there because he helped us um, in any small way. But yeah, that during that summer where um, where I was a missionary, I think this helped me as well in the Eucharist. Um, just bringing me deeper into my participation of the mass because the initial encounter happened in adoration. Uh, I can't say that that transitioned into the mass for me. Um, it was always hard for me to enter into that. And honestly still is as a parent, I'm like trying to wrangle kids and right, right. you know, yeah. it, can, it can be hard. But uh, that summer when I was a missionary, the very last week we have, we have daily mass every single day during the summer and the very last week I had decided to fast and I don't think any of my teammates knew because scripture says you know don't let people know that you're fasting Mm -hmm. don't like seem weak or whatever so I just I just kind of kept it to myself and made it something to offer up and um and so I would eat like a piece of toast for breakfast or something and then I wouldn't eat until dinner because people would host us for dinner and so I didn't want to be rude Mm -hmm. um so then all I would have during the day would be the Eucharist at mass and it was during that time where I was just like really, really hungry <laughs> um, that I learned to trust that the Eucharist sustains us. And I felt like um, it actually did. Like I was really hungry before mass wow. and I would have a tiny little host and then I would I would be fine until dinner. And during that time, um, the words where the priest holds up and says, behold, the lamb of God. Mm-hmm. The, those words you hear them every single time you go to mass and yeah. they had never stood out to me before this and during that week they stood out to me like every single time and just brought me into a, like a really awesome place of contemplating the mass right. yeah and i just kept think like relating it to the sacrifice of the lamb like in yeah. in the old testament they would sacrifice a lamb to atone for their sins and and just thinking like, behold the Lamb of God. It's like God the Father sent Jesus to us for the purpose of being a lamb. Like he yeah. knew he was going to sacrifice his son and he was going to atone for our sins. And it just brought me into like this beautiful place of gratitude, I guess, in the in yeah. the midst of the mass. So which the Eucharist means Thanksgiving. So yeah. I was coming to a place yeah. of Thanksgiving. That's beautiful, Kara. Yeah, I'm I found myself reflecting on that a bit this this most recent Christmas season even just looking at the nativity and and thinking that's the whole reason he came like that little baby was the wood of the, the, the manger becomes the wood of the cross, you know? And uh, so I think think it's absolutely beautiful. And as you say, the, the host being lifted, behold the lamb of God, I'm reminding reminded of a priest. We both know father Brad Pelzel, how he celebrates mass. He always has this, it's very reverent at that particular part. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's always a pause when he holds up mm-hmm. the host. Yeah. Behold the Lamb of God. Yeah. 
And there's always a pause there. And it's because he himself is saying, my Lord and my God. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's when those words come right in the mass. Right. Right. And how beautiful that is in in his witness as a priest and doing that, but also like in sharing that, you know, because I think that has a profound effect on us when we witness that kind of reverence in the mass as well. I want to go all the way back to the beginning Okay. <laughs> if I could, <laughs> yeah. if I could real quick, because you, you had mentioned, we had talked about what, ha- what do we do with those retreat highs and, and the experience and, and when people aren't familiar with, you know, talking about the Eucharist in this way, you mentioned, you asked about this conference, the retreat you were going to, and someone said, there's a lot of good talks, you right, know, right. I, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's an important point too, that I would like to touch on a little bit. Cause that was one of the things we, we talked about with Tim is we don't want to reduce our encounter with Christ in the Eucharist as something just catechetical, Mm -hmm. just theological. And I think sometimes we come at things being entirely catechetical or, or, or the information as if the information alone is enough. But as you pointed out, like not everybody has an intellectual conversion, right? You know, this is why Pope Francis tells us, I invite everyone to encounter Christ Mm -hmm. daily or at least be open to letting him encounter them, which you were. You absolutely were. You know, that's the difference between we we use those words evangelization and catechesis sort of interchangeably. Mm -hmm. But the the work of the Eucharistic revival and what we're trying to do with the show and what Tim Glomkowski is after is making sure we're answering questions I don't know questions with I don't know answers, right. if that makes sense. And I don't care questions with I don't care answers. Like right. what needs to be said? What what encounter is needed there? I think the same could be said on the opposite end too. Like sometimes it's so catechetical, but then on the other end, sometimes we forget about the catechesis and it's so experiential and we exactly, forget yeah. to give the truth because I think one thing that may be unique about my testimony is that it has both and it needed both. Right. Um, like I needed that first initial experience to then get really excited about this, like catechetical article, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But the experience itself is doctrinal, is catechetical, is theological. Yes, it was emotional, but the way the light shined through the host and you see Christ projected on the wall. Right. That's truth. I mean, that's truth. That is teaching in itself. That could be sacred art. But I will, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Maybe I'll draw it. I'm not an artist. There you go. (laughs) I will say like, you you know, you said you were open to it. I wasn't. Like I, when I, I didn't want to go, you know, and I I started Mm. by saying that, like I did not want to go on this retreat and I think what opened me up was the talks, you know, and I couldn't right. tell you who they were and I couldn't tell mm. you what they said, but they had a role to play and they, and they played it and God needed to use them to open up so many people's hearts to this. And my, like, I wasn't fertile soil for, to be able to see that, but they helped create an opening so that I could. So I think there's that place for you know, the teaching and sharing testimonies and like priming, you know, priming the soil, preparing the soil, but right, we're never going to be the people who draw others closer to Christ through conversion because it's not people and talks who change hearts. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a hundred percent a place for all of it. Otherwise God wouldn't raise up all of it in the church. 
Um, and I needed all of it. Like I needed, I needed so much help. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's kind of where I was going with that is it's, it's always a both and, and we have to, to keep that in mind anytime we're talking about the person of Christ in the Eucharist. And, and, and I know many people just get frustrated about, you know, the recent reports of a third of Catholics believe in the real presence, two thirds don't, Mm -hmm. but it's a both and answer. It's all of those things working together, like your experience that are going to help solve that. And I think it's the, the witness yeah. But the word of our testimony, like people need to hear your testimony, Kara. With that study, like we always hear the the two thirds don't believe in the Eucharist. But I think one thing that we could start doing, and maybe this is a good year to do it, is to focus more on the third that does. Yes, it's right. sad that, mm-hmm. you know, 70% of people don't believe. Well, I should say 66. Someone's going to be like, she's not good at math. Um, <laughs> You love math. I love math. (laughs) That, you know, 66.6, whatever, isn't isn't believing that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. But let's believe in the 33.3% of people who are. Yeah. And, you know, there's hope in that because we go to mass and we receive him. And if we believe that, like that can change the world if we take it out as as witnesses. So maybe we focus more on on the hope that is in the church. Yeah. And not to to be relentlessly an optimist i think it's more hope and faith than anything else and a love for the mission of the church but two-thirds that don't believe that sounds like let's go we've got work to do Mm -hmm. it lights a a fire that's yeah that's what it does it lights a fire so let's go that sounds like opportunity to me yeah yeah that's exciting yeah well on that note thank you again everyone for tuning into my lord and my god Kara will be interviewing me yes. in this next episode. Yeah. Tune in next week to hear Fred's testimony and how he has encountered Christ in the Eucharist.